humans, hello, humans, hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Happy, happy September 14th, um, which I would also note uh, means that there's only one more week of official summer left. Although if you're in Minnesota already, you know that somebody last week flicked a big switch Ah, okay. It also means that my days of getting on my bike and riding for 15 or 20 or 25 miles at a clip um, are numbered. Okay, well, we have a great show. Um, I have a theme today, and uh, it's around, uh, the theme is uh, lawyers who are idealists, idealistic lawyers. Yes, I, you know, many of you know I'm a lawyer. Um, uh, graduated from law school long ago, 1982. Still licensed in the state of Minnesota, but no, I no longer practice. Okay, so that's our theme, lawyers who are an idealist, uh, who are idealistic. The big interview is with one such lawyer, a younger person who in her short time as a lawyer, like seven years, has done some really great things for people on the edge of society. Um, And I'll talk about me, something idealistic I did when I was a much younger lawyer. But let's begin with this week's featured idealist. It's someone many of you are uh, familiar with, um, if not by name, certainly by his picture, by his, his face. I'm speaking about attorney Benjamin Crump, who most notably is the attorney for uh, George Floyd's family. First, here are the basics. A lot of this is taken out of Wikipedia, but also I've gone to, all you have to do is Google Ben Crump and you'll come up with his law firm. So some of it is from his website. First off, Benjamin Crump is 50 years old. He is only 50. He's younger than what certainly I had expected. He was born in Lumberton, North Carolina, and is the oldest of nine siblings and step-siblings. His mother, yep, God love her, worked as a hotel maid and then as a worker at the local uh, Converse shoe factory. When Ben Crump was entering high school, Ben Crump's mother sent him to live with his father, who at the time was living in Plantation, Florida, where the father was a math teacher. Um, Somewhat surprisingly, Benjamin Crump's pedigree is not all of that um, spectacular as it relates to the law world. I mean, certainly um, he's accomplished. He's a a Florida State University college graduate as well as a law school of Florida State University. He got his degree in 1992. So now, listeners, bear in mind, okay, 1992 is not that long ago. As it relates to lawyering, I mean, for it's only, what are we talking, 28 years, um, you know, and then, uh, and then Benjamin Crump got his law degree in 1995. So we, you know, we are talking uh, literally 25 years that he's been a lawyer, okay? He's only licensed in Florida, but um, I'm, I'm presuming he does what I used to do, which is he would find lawyers in various states willing to act as his, what the technical phrase is called local counsel. So you pair with a lawyer who's locally, that allows you to then practice in that location because the lawyer is your mail drop, the lawyer helps advise you. And so when you have local counsel all over the country, as Benjamin Crump does, it allows him to practice across America. His start to big cases and impact litigation really began when he was only 33 years old and had been practicing barely seven years. That, in that year, 2002, 
In that case, um, he had represented a family of a black man who had been shot by a white and killed by a white state trooper. And he won a several million dollar settlement as a result of that. After that, um, Benjamin Crump started in a long list of big name cases, including, including representing the family of Trayvon Martin, who was killed by George Zimmerman in February of uh, uh, February of 2006, the family of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, the family of Tamir Price, a 12-year-old killed by police in Cleveland while holding a toy gun. These are all cases that Benjamin Crump has handled. He's also um, presently representing the family of Ar Ar Armad Arbery, the 25-year-old jogger killed by two white-colored men, and the family of Breonna Taylor, and we know about Brianna Taylor in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, who, um, who was killed in a police raid um, where they did not knock on the door. And of course, he's representing the family of George Floyd. This list is not at all exhaustive. He's had many cases involving black and brown people who have died at the hands of law enforcement. In 2017, Benjamin Crump created his own law firm, Ben Crump Law. Just Google that and you'll come up with a a very uh, dynamic website. Um, and if you go to the website, you'll notice that there are um, a number of investigators listed. I mean, he's got the pictures of a lot of his key people and many lawyers of counsel. Um, that offers him great flexibility because when a lawyer is of a counsel, they're not necessarily your employee. And um, so he's doing a lot of kind of innovative things as it relates to practicing law. One of the things that I really found interesting is that Ben Crump, Benjamin Crump, isn't only involved in police misconduct and death cases. He's had quite an impressive list of cases involving civil claims. Now, civil claims, those are the kinds where somebody um, is injured or killed or truck accident or something like that. That's the kind of work I used to do when I practiced law for almost 30 years. Although Ben Crump and I would have been on opposite sides because I usually represented the bad guys, the trucking companies or the railroads or the manufacturers um, that Ben Crump um, regularly sues. And so he's been involved in getting multi-million dollar settlements for people killed in motor vehicle accidents, for folks who suffered burns because of defective products. And he's also, um, he also uh, headed, uh, he was the attorney for a class action against Johnson & Johnson for its baby uh, powder that contained asbestos and, and was linked to cervical cancer in women. He's also been involved in another class action that is brought by the people in Flint, Michigan because of lead contamination in their drinking water. And there's actually um, on his website, they're saying that there is a settlement um, in the works for that. This is all of this is pretty unusual because a lawyer usually finds one type of specialty like police misconduct, police, um, uh, police abuse cases, and then sticks with that. Um, and just does only that work. The fact that Benjamin Crump goes across several legal fields tells me that he truly is a believer in writing the entire system that's rigged against black, brown, indigenous people, and other people of color. And, and um, you can also confirm Benjamin Crump's idealism by going to his website and seeing that he has, he has a large civil rights and the history of black, brown, and other people of color having been marginalized in America. He quotes the very same kind of statistics that I refer to in my work as a human um, inclusivity trainer 
as um, an inclusionist. He quotes uh, statistics like the median black family has only $3,500 in wealth compared, uh, accrued compared to a me- the median white family having $147,000. So some observations from me, a civil trial lawyer for almost 30 years with more than 100 trials. First, it's pretty clear Ben Crump is the real deal. Um, he seems to have heard his stature He seemed to have earned his marks the old-fashioned way, one case at a time. Um, Lawyering is no no different than running a restaurant, frankly. Um, Success, doing good work, serving a good meal, serving good food, brings in more customers. That's the way it works with lawyering. You do good work on a case, word gets out, and it attracts more cases. Second, Ben Crump seems to be pretty damn fearless. It does. It takes a lot of guts, in addition to a huge work ethic, to show up in so many jurisdictions in so many states with so many different judges, let alone different lawyers. Um, This is not for the faint of heart. Um, And so, yeah, I think he's very fearless. Lastly, he's the real deal. I don't think he's in it just for the money, although um, certainly he's a multimillionaire several times over at this point. I think he's truly in it because he believes the system is rigged in favor of white-colored people to the detriment of all other people. And by the way, I'm here to tell you and confirm that the system is rigged. Absolutely. There's no question about it. So the next time you see Benjamin Crump on TV, okay, Please know and please say to yourself, hey, what I'm seeing right now on the screen is a true idealist at work, in action. Because it's true. You will be. I'm actually in awe of this man. I am. And it makes me wonder, <laughs> frankly, what I've been able to achieve have, uh, had I been braver or smarter days when I practiced law. I guess we'll never know. Although some never too late, Ellie, to go back to it. Yeah, I know. And who knows? I can't ever tell the future for sure. But I will tell you this. Um, um, When I see an idealist practicing law, I tip my hat to them. And for Benjamin Crump, I am tipping my hat right now in a big way. Ben Crump, you go get him. Ben Crump, you are fearless. Thank you for what you're doing in a way that very few humans, very few lawyers can do right now. Okay, listeners, there you go. That's my A block talking about our featured idealist. When we come back, we're going to do the big interview with Rachel Schroman. You will enjoy listening to her. She is a young idealist. And me, I'm an older idealist. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. I love Twitter followers. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. 
This is a great way to see what we carry in the reuse warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota, .com. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. How long till my soul gets it right? And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, so now you know um, a little bit more about Benjamin Crump than what you knew before. Now remember, listeners, the theme of this show is idealists, lawyers who are idealists. And on the line with me, I have another lawyer who is an idealist. We are talking huge idealist. I have Rachel Schoman. Schoman on the line. Rachel, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Ellie. Okay. Well, Rachel, welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. I'm thrilled to have you here. We should make sure that all the listeners know that actually, Rachel, you you advertise on the station regularly, but that's not why I'm having you here. I'm having you because I know you and I know that the work that you do. So um, so welcome. And uh, let's just talk a little bit about what, what it is that you do. So you're a lawyer. Um, you've been out of law school not 10 years yet, have you? No, I graduated in 2013, so coming up on it, it feels like over 10 years. Yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> and you've got a practice in St. Paul where you primarily do work around uh, uh, real, uh, probate, around wills and, and estates and things of that nature. Is that right? Correct. Estate planning and elder law. Yes. Okay. And we should make everybody know, let them know that you and I are also friends Mm-hmm. And uh, intermittently, we have a bilateral mentor relationship with each other. You mentor mm-hmm. me on some things. I mentor you on some things. Yes. So, um, but you've been a very dear friend to me. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I want to talk about you know, your idealism, okay? And I know that before I started grabbing you for the show, you probably weren't thinking along those lines, but hopefully you're doing that now. Yes. Um, one of the things I love about you, Rachel, is that you have, you're a dynamo. I mean, not only are you a full-time lawyer, but you've got all kinds of other things going on. And one of those things um, is that you are the co-founder, along with an attorney named um, uh, Evan, Evan, Ivan uh, Spangler, Yvonne. sorry, Yvonne Spangler. Yep. You're the co-founder of the Domestic Abuse Legal Advocacy Center in St. Paul. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And that began in oh, late 15, early 16. Tell us about mm-hmm. that. What is the Domestic Abuse Legal Advocacy Center? And why does it exist? And why the heck, on top of everything else, did you go and do this? Well, the, the Domestic Abuse Legal Advocacy Center is uh, it, technically it's a nonprofit law firm that Yvonne Spangler and I co-founded. And we serve clients of domestic violence shelters that we collaborate with. So we have uh, volunteer attorneys that um, go into the shelters, meet with clients, um, provide pro bono legal advocacy in that regard, and then pro bono 
in-court representation for orders for protection and eviction expungements. And prior going to law school, uh, I was actually a social work major with a women's studies minor in college. And what took me to law school initially was a desire to work with victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Uh, in law school, I learned very quickly um, that that was an area of law I would likely burn out uh, quickly practicing. Um, and I don't exactly have a litigator personality. Um, so I had met Yvonne. Uh, she's also a mentor of mine. When I was in law school, we bonded over this passion. And this nonprofit uh, was largely a passion project for Yvonne. Uh, frankly, she spearheaded it. She reached out to me, asked if I would co-found with her, help with creating it. Um, I had recently graduated, so it was an amazing opportunity to have that early on in my career. Um, and it was really our joint passion that drove its creation and um, keeps it going. Okay. And so um, the, the, the shelters, uh, are you, can you, are you free to name the shelters at which you're doing your legal, your legal um, services for? Yes. We currently collaborate with Home Free in Plymouth and Women's Advocates in St. Paul. Okay. And, and give us an idea of, since 2016, the number of clients that you've served, you know, mainly women, I'm assuming, um, who are the subjects of domestic violence. Uh, I don't like to use the word victim, survivors of domestic violence. Give me an idea of the number of women or children that you've helped. Um, so you're correct. It is primarily uh, women. And um, just off the top of my head, since the founding, man, I would say roughly around 500 clients. 500? Are you kidding me? That's unbelievable number, Rachel. Oh, well, we have the monthly clinics that we get. Um, I mean, those are routinely filled where clients come in um, to meet with our volunteer attorneys. And then on top of that, we have the in-court and we do have, you know, emergency situations that come up outside of the actual clinic times. Right. And so for the lay people that are listening right now, when we hear the word clinic, I know that a lot of people are like thinking about doctors. And really what a legal clinic is, is that you have lawyers that go to a location and people uh, can make appointments in advance where sometimes they can just show up to speak to the lawyer to get some advice. Do I have that right? Correct. Okay. All right. So 500, that is, that's a lot. And then you're, you're herding cats. So you're herding volunteer lawyers to get them to show up at X or Y place. Do I have that right? Uh, correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, but but listeners, let's remember, Rachel, you're a full-time lawyer working, what, 50, 40, 50 hours a week on your own legal practice, at least? Correct. Okay, yes. and on top of that, you're hurting lawyers to help uh, survivors of domestic violence so that they can go and help people. Do I, you know, you're, you're a pretty busy person. Yes. Um, I mean, fortunately, since founding... We, we have a great group of volunteer attorneys, um, a good number now built up that are incredibly reliable, um, that we don't have to hurt as much. Uh, and, you know, having Yvonne as well as a co-founder, um, we really balance a lot of that, that work. Uh, but no, it's definitely, I mean, 
it is additional work, but I've found, at least in my experience, those types of things that are really fueled by passion and a yearning to, mm-hmm. you know, have a further impact. It doesn't feel like work all the time. That's what idealists say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just just so you understand that part, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we've got about a minute to go, but I, uh, you know, let me just dive into, though, in addition to that, you're also a vol- you volunteer as a lawyer. I mean, you're mm-hmm. volunteering with the Domestic Abuse Legal Advocacy yep. Center, um, but you're also a volunteer lawyer on your own. I mean, you're doing other work in addition to that. Mm-hmm. And Correct. so, tell us, uh, give the audience a little bit about what you're doing. Um, so, I volunteer with Cancer Legal Care, which is a nonprofit that serves um, victims and survivors of cancer. I'm doing pro bono estate planning. I was actually named their Volunteer Attorney of the Year this year, which was an incredible honor. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I volunteer with MACV, which is a uh, pro bono legal clinic at the Veterans Hospital. Um, and then in a non-legal capacity, I do therapy dog work with uh, hospice patients with my dog, Mabel. Jeez. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> well, all right. So we're going to take a break and I'm going to come back and talk more about that. Okay. Um, and okay. Uh, so listeners, we've been speaking to Rachel Schroman, who's a lawyer in St. Paul um, uh, and who is an idealist. I'm, I'm letting her know that. And uh, so <laughs> hopefully you're liking what you hear with our theme about lawyers who are idealists. If you enjoy this show, you can check up on me at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail. I love hearing from listeners. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hello, this is Ellie. We're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. We've been talking with attorney Rachel Schroman out of St. Paul, um, who is a budding idealist, even though she might not know that. Um, And this is keeping with our theme about lawyers as idealists. And lawyers can be idealists. Listeners, we can. Actually, we can be really great idealists. Okay. So, Rachel, before we took our break... Um, we had been talking about the Domestic Abuse Legal Efficacy Center. And will you, uh, for the audience, uh, will you give them the, the um, internet or the, you know, the website address for the, for the center so that if somebody wants to read up about it, they can go to? Yes, uh, it is just Domestic Abuse Legal Advocacy Center. 
org. Okay. With two founders, mm-hmm. you and with uh, Yvonne uh, Spangler. Yvonne was the, was the uh, visionary for it, and she mm-hmm. roped you in, and you were happy to get roped in. Okay. Yes. All right. But on your own, in addition to that, you're doing all this other stuff. So you're doing volunteer work, pro bono. That is free legal work for cancer survivors through the Cancer Legal Care um, website organization. And then you talked about, um, and this was pre-COVID because it makes it far more difficult. You you also volunteer for a thing called MACV, which is a, about uh, helping vets, our vets with their legal needs, right? Correct. Okay. All right. So- so, so tell me, Rachel, okay, you know, many lawyers, particularly those building their practice, I mean, you're, you've, you're in your seventh going on your eighth year, um, or eighth going into ninth, however you want to calculate mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, many lawyers building their practices, this kind of volunteering stuff, a lot of times comes later in the career. After they've had a chance to establish themselves, you know, you know, pay some bills, pay some legal, you know, pay some college bills or law school bills, but you're mm-hmm. doing it on the front end. Why, you know, why, why are you, why are you spending so much time um, giving free legal advice and doing things for people which it's not putting any money in your pocket? Well, I think for me that's just it's based on personal desire and personal fulfillment. And I think, actually, I believe it was you, Ellie, that when I started my practice, you know, you mentored me in those early days. And I believe you're the one that, you know, bluntly said to me at one point, you know, Rachel, if it were up to you, you'd work 90 hours a week and you'd never get paid because (laughs) I was doing so much pro bono and so much volunteering. And, you know, I did have to sit back and you know, my background, like I mentioned earlier, I was a social work major. So kind of gives you some insight into my personality. So when I got my legal degree, I really wanted to be doing that pro bono work. I find it very fulfilling. Um, And I have had to dial it back a little bit, as you know, that I, I have from when I first started my practice. But I do view, you know, as my legal practice grows. And as I find more success that way, um, I use that to do more of the the passion work, you know, as I call it, more of the pro bono. My personal, my business success supports that work I do. Well, and I will tell you and listeners, so, you know, I've been a lawyer for a long time, still a lawyer, although not lawyering. Um, And I, you know, as you heard in the first segment, I know a thing or two about lawyers who are successful. And I can tell you, Rachel, from what I have seen, she has, in an extraordinarily short period of time, built up quite an incredible practice in uh, dealing, you know, in probate, helping people with their wills and with their estates. So, Rachel, my hat is off to you. And I'm, because I've known you, I'm not surprised that you would do that because you have an incredible work ethic. But still, tell me this. Um, and I'm going to throw a left-hand question at you because you didn't mm-hmm. know this was coming. Okay. <laughs> Tell me, you know, for a young person right now, you're in your early 30s. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about America? Okay. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of people who are struggling, you know, mm-hmm. struggling with relationships, struggling with, struggling with their health. You know, um, your therapy dog work with your dog, Mabel, with hospice folks, you're str- people struggling with death. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what? how are you feeling about America right now? And what gives you hope and what gives you pause, young idealist? Young idealist. Well, 
I mean, since the last election, there was a time period where I was just very, very disheartened and kind of frankly relaxed into the whole ignorance is bliss. Didn't pay attention to a lot. Um, stopped watching the news. Uh, and part of that was for self self-protection. Sure. Now this year, I mean, we have hit the low of lows and I think it can be very easy to just feel completely hopeless and completely helpless. And I've been there. I've had those days for sure. But um, almost creating a parallel between what's going on with America and things I've experienced in my personal life, what helps me have hope is my personal experience of having really, really dark lows, which only gave rise to incredible highs. So, um, and we might, this might come up, we might talk about it, but I personally work a program of recovery. I've been sober since 2012. And there's a line um, in a book that I utilize for my recovery work that just said, it's uh, the gentleman writing the book is telling his story of his bottom when he really hit a bottom in his using, his drinking. And then he says one line, he says, how dark it is before the dawn. And then he goes into his recovery and just all of the amazing things that happened that he could have never foreseen at that bottom. And that line pops up in my head a lot this year when protests were going on and, you know, my community, I live right in between the Capitol and the governor's mansion in St. Paul. My community was just in so much pain. I just thought how dark it is before the dawn. And that's largely what's been giving me hope is that I've experienced personally, I've had to hit some pretty dark, rough, painful bottoms. But what came after that was something I could have never predicted. Well, and we should let the listeners know, I mean, you are a uh, sponsor for a number of people who are um, attempting to stay sober. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and one of the things, you know, you and I got to know each other, you know, within a couple of, well, within a year or two of you graduating from law school. And one of mm-hmm. the things that struck me about you, and listeners, this is really critical. Rachel got sober in her, what, second or third year of law school mm-hmm. when, yeah. when the stressors are enormous. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when most people, you know, head the other way. And you, though, found the strength to be sober. I mean, it's one of the things I have always admired about you, not only your sobriety, but the fact that you did it at a time, you know, and then you had to go take the bar and you still stay sober. I mean, at a time when it's very difficult for most humans. So, so Rachel, you know, in that regard, I, I mean, you are like a light, you know, let's, let's stay with the metaphor, okay? Mm-hmm. You are a light for a lot of people including me. You are. Thank you. Hmm. You know, and what, you know, so um, I guess I better ask you this because I always ask everyone on the show, mm-hmm. what, what do you think made you such an idealist? And by the way, I want you to be using that word to describe yourself. Idealist. <laughs> yes. And, you know, since you invited me to be on the show, I've really had to reflect on this question and think about it. And I'll be quite honest, when you first brought it up and prior, you know, to the last week, um, idealist in my head was almost a negative term. Hmm. 
So when I heard idealist, I thought naively optimistic, Ah. not grounded in reality. And in reflecting on that, I honestly think it goes to my childhood, you know, that negative connotation, my childhood and my upbringing. I was raised in a very, very conservative Catholic family uh, of business owners. And it wasn't until I went to, you know, liberal college, got my liberal education, became a women's studies minor. that I We should make everybody know it's Winona State, right? Winona State, yes. (laughs) Okay. That I started hearing these messages that aligned more with my heart. I talk a lot about making sure my brain and my heart are in alignment. Mm. Um, You know, I was hearing, uh, you know, one of the things I bring up before I went to college, I always assumed, which is ironic now that I'm in recovery, but I always assumed homeless individuals, or I shouldn't say assumed, I had been taught that homeless individuals were addicts who were choosing not to get better and better their lives. It was their fault. Therefore, exactly. Yep, right. And then when I'm getting an education in college, you know, you're hearing, well, a lot of, first of all, addiction is a disease, which I have come to be very personally familiar with that fact. Um, there's mental health struggles, just this more human approach. And as I've integrated that into my life, um, you know, those messages, those life lessons, those rang true in my heart. And all that's happened since then is my actions my thinking have aligned with that. And I've been blessed that I've had a lot of mentors, you being one of them, Yvonne Spangler being a huge one that nurtured and supported, um, I think, my becoming more of an idealist. Ah, see you using it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'm going to lean into it and embrace it. It is not a negative phrase whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it is about optimism, but it is most of all an idealist. You can't be an idealist sitting on your couch watching the TV. Okay. Idealism is about taking action, about working to make the world a better place. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's very clear that you are doing that. And, and I mean, you are a dynamo. Uh, I don't know anyone at your, at your age mm-hmm. um, who is so uh, dynamic in so many different ways. And all of it is geared towards helping other people. I mean, it is just really, I'm not surprised that you were the, you know, volunteer attorney of the year for the cancer, Mm -hmm. uh, for cancer legal care. I mean, you're going to be the volunteer of a lot of years for a lot of different Mm -hmm. organizations. So, yeah, you are. And, um, and I, I hope that you are right, um, that the dawn is coming. Okay. Mm -hmm. I hope that you are, because if it's not us idealists, really, really are going to face quite a challenge because we're going to have to inspire ourselves as well as other people against a whole lot of darkness. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, well, listen, we have um, run out of time. I have so enjoyed having you. Um, And thanks for being on LE 2.0 Radio, Rachel. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed this as well. Okay, well, that's great. All right, well, listeners, we've been speaking with Rachel Schroman, a lawyer in St. Paul, who's also a volunteer and a humanist, but most of all, she is an idealist doing incredible work. So give her a ring, okay? I mean, you know, check her out. Rachel Schroman. Uh, Rachel, what, what's your uh, website if people wanted to uh, contact you? 
My website is uh, www.schromanlaw.com. That's S-C-H-R-O-M-E-N law.com. Great. Okay. Well, Rachel, thanks so very much for being on the show. Listeners, when we come back, we'll do my C block where I'm going to talk about my work, okay, as an idealist. All right. We'll be back in a sec. Thanks. Krug from LE 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota.com. We're back on LE 2.0 Radio AM 950. Yes, Rachel Schroman, check her out. And the next time you hear her ad on the station, and I, I did not have her on because she advertises here. I had her on because I know her and she's an idealist. But next time you hear her ad on the station, will you do me a favor and also know about the good work that she is doing for humans who lack voices of their own? All right, we're now at my C block where I talk about my work as an idealist. So those of you who have read my memoir, Getting to Ellen, know that I'm a BC Boston College Law School grad, and I started practicing law for five years. I was in downtown Boston. And during part of that time, I worked for a large law firm. I was lawyer number 42 at what eventually would become 110 lawyers at that firm. Soon after I joined that law firm, now remember, I'm a wet-behind-the-ear lawyer, um, one of the power partners, we'll just call him Lou, okay? I'm mainly going to call him power partner, um, gave me a pro bono case. Now, you just heard Rachel, Ma- uh, Rachel not Rachel Maddow, Rachel Schroman speak about um, pro bono. That's free legal work for people in need. So I got this pro bono case. Um, it was a prisoner's case. Um, so it meant somebody who was in prison, federal prison at the time, um, and unlike, uh, not unlike something that Brent Crump would take on it. My case back in 1983 involved a man, a heroin addict, who was arrested for violating his parole because he went back, um, he violated his parole. So because he was, he went back to using heroin and uh, U.S. Marshals arrested him because of that. They arrested him, they took him to New York City, the big lockup there, and they left him um, to go through heroin withdrawal without letting him see a doctor. He got very sick. He did not die, but he got very sick, and he demanded to see a doctor, and they just refused to let him do that. Well, according to me and according to other cases, that's a violation of his civil rights, and we filed a lawsuit. Now, you have to understand that um, uh, doing suing the government 
for a federal prisoner who wasn't allowed medical attention. That is not an easy case, okay? Claims are very difficult to prove, and prisoners, you know, in front of a jury, they're not usually the best kind of witnesses or clients to have. So finding lawyers generally to take on those kinds of cases is difficult. This power partner at the firm I was at, he, um, he wanted to be thought of very well by the federal court. And so he worked out a deal there. My, the firm I was part of would take on these kinds of cases as a way to be a little politically correct with the judges there. He was trying to get in good with the judges by having the firm. He, he wasn't handling the cases. The younger lawyers were. Um, so I got this case. came to me. Power partner gives it to me. But at the same time, the power partner says, dog it. In other words, he's telling me to just do the minimal on the case, to not put a lot of free legal time into it. And you have to understand that even way back in 1983, that's not how I operated. I took an oath when I became a lawyer. Um, and that oath included that you don't shortcut justice for your clients. So early on when I got this case, the federal government came in and they, and, uh, they moved to, they wanted to dismiss the case saying the case didn't have any merit. So I fought that tooth and nail, um, put in a lot of hours, uh, and I succeeded. I kept the case going. We defeated the government's motion to get the case dismissed. Power partner then comes to me <clears throat> and complains that I was putting too much time in on the case because I was recording the time in, my, in the billing system. He said, you're putting in too much time. You need to go back to, you need to dog it. And he also told me, when the case comes to trial, I want to know. So me being me, I stopped recording the time on the case. That didn't mean I didn't do it. I just didn't write it down. Um, and, and I continued to represent him, uh, this man, the heroin addict, my client. Fast forward to a, <clears throat> the Monday after Easter, 1986. The case unexpectedly got called for trial. I heard it literally the week before that it was going to get set for trial, that it was going to go to trial the day after Easter. Um, I did not tell the power partner about that, despite being instructed to do so, because I knew that the power partner would told me to dog the case, to not put any time in preparing for what was going to be my very first jury trial. And I've just got to tell you, I did not need that kind of pressure. So I didn't tell him about it. So I went and started the trial all on my own, my very first jury trial by myself, by Ellie Krug. <laughs> well, I wasn't Ellie at that time. Um, Presented as a man then. Okay. So on the second day of the trial, though, I sent, gave a note to the power partner, went to trial. Um, it was a very vigorous trial day. Um, when I got back from trial at the end of that second day of trial, because the trial lasted a whole week, I, there was a note on my chair from the power partner, see me. <laughs> so I went over to the power partner's office and uh, he uh, motioned, he was on the phone, motioned me in to sit down, and to shut the door. <laughs> I knew what was coming, frankly. Um, he began to berate me for not letting him know about the trial. I mean, he was very, very disrespectful to me, berating me. How dare I violate his rule and his instruction about coming to him when the case went to trial? And then he ended up telling me in his fit of anger that I couldn't make so much as a photocopy for the trial, for this case, without getting his explicit permission in advance. <laughs> At that point, I was pretty pissed. And I responded back to him, 
quote. Don't you think that's a little unrealistic, unquote, about having to ask for permission to make even a photocopy? The man blew up at me even further, threw me out of his office. We tried the case for a whole week. Um, The jury was out on a Friday afternoon and decided to come back on Monday. That was a great sign for me, I'll tell you. However, I lost the case. But the client, the heroin addict, um, who had had a lot of lawyers over the years, who had had a lot of cases he had filed because he was very litigious, told me that I was the best lawyer he had ever had. And for me, that was good enough. Eventually, it was my time to be reviewed at the firm, you know, about whether to stay on, whether the firm was going to keep me. And the power partner wanted my head. The word was that I had six months to apologize to the power partner in order to keep my job. My response, quote, I'm from Iowa. I don't ever apologize for doing the right thing, unquote. Five months, 29 days later, I had a new job. Actually, I had a new job back in Iowa, where I would go and eventually start my own law firm and do a whole lot of things, more than 100 trials. So that's it, my story of being an idealist, my story of standing up for somebody who lacked a voice. All right, well, that wraps it up. Big thanks to my sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which works with people who have been incarcerated to help give them a second chance. I also need to thank my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are wonderful, always keeping me on my toes and and producing shows that are way better because you're producing them. And you, my listeners, I want to say thanks. Thanks for tuning in every week. I am hoping you're enjoying this new time slot. Uh, Maybe in the near future, we'll be doing this live and you can call in. Um, But I, I appreciate that you come in every week and you listen to me. And I also, um, please, tell others about the show. Tell them about my website, elliekrug.com. Most of all, will you do this? Will you go out? Go out and do something to make the world better this week. Will you do that for me, please? Thanks. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.